Acts 11, Part 1, from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Douglas Cho. I've been married for about nine months now, right? Yeah! Hey, girl! <laughs> uh, we're, you know, slowly coming up on that one-year mark. Uh, think about what are we going to do for our anniversary. Got to make it good, you know, but we have some sort of semblance of a, of a, of a rhythm going with each other, you know? So I'll look at her, I'll be like, boo. You know, you got the dishes, I got the laundry, don't you worry about it, right? And we kind of work that way. Um, we discovered a dishwasher, right? So if you don't understand what that means, uh, a lot of Asian people, they use the dishwasher as storage. It's just a cabinet, <laughs> right? It's a drying rack, right? And so we discovered dishwasher that when you turn it on, it washes your dishes for you. And you can do other things. That's really good, changed our lives. I, I, I have to say this. There was one time, it's so ridiculous. One time, like, because when you dry things on it, like, things dry up and you see, like, crust or whatever, right? So we're looking at it, we're like, that's gross. We should run it so that it cleans. Like, run it without any dishes so that it cleans out all the stuff inside. We're like, this is ridiculous. But anyway, our lives have been changed. <laughs> but recently, recently, um, I had a dream. And it was one of those dreams, I don't know if you've ever had one of these, that it was so real, so raw, that, you know, it, the emotions were so powerful. Have you ever had one of those dreams? You wake up and you're crying and you're like, what happened, you know? You wake up, you're so angry, like, I can't believe that happened. You're confused about reality. Right? I had one of those dreams. And in my dream, my wife was a jerk. She was, the things she was saying to me, the things she was doing to me, oh my goodness gracious. I was not happy. I woke up, my heart was pounding, I was sweating, I was furious. I woke up in the middle of the night, I looked over, I just stared at her because I had no idea what to do. She's just sleeping, you know, I was just like, what do I do with all this rage? I, like, I don't know, I'm just holding it. I went back to bed, you know. Woke up the next day. First thing I did, I was like, she's like, hello, she wanted to talk. I was like, no, no, listen, you need to listen to my dream. This is what happened. This is what you did in my dream. And we talked about it. She laughed at me because I'm being ridiculous. And we were just like sharing, you know, and she had some really good points about the dream. It was interesting. Her point was that she felt that the dreams, the, the genesis of this dream came from my worries regarding her. And I was like, really? I don't think so. You know, I, I played it down. I was like, you know, I, I think it was just a dream. But she pushed it. She was like, no, I really believe that it came from your worries about me. And I was like, yeah, that's true. And I know we're newlyweds, but we're going through a lot of transitions right now. We're transitioning in her career and what that means for us financially and, you know, like how do we plan for our future and if and when we have kids because she's always like, give me babies. I want babies now, babies now. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like how we got to plan. And I'm a finance guy, right? So I'm like, how do we plan for the future? Like I have no idea what's happening right now. You know, I'm like, but I'm not the type of person to like sit there and brood about things, right? I got to be cool about it. I got to be cool about it. Because if I worry, she worries. Right? So I got to play it cool. I got to downplay it. Like, I got this. Don't worry. You know, everything is going to work out. But, like, it, it's, like it's, it's there. It's like, if it's not here, it's here. You know, it's, it's somewhere here. And I believe that these things were on my peripheral. They were on my peripheral. 
These things were in my subconscious. And the things that were in my subconscious, they were weighing really heavily on me. And today, we sit here as people, and I think we can all agree that we sit here with things in all of our subconsciouses that weigh heavy on us. Two weeks ago, Pastor Peter gave a message about the Apostle Peter's hunger state dream, right? Peter talked about how Peter was in this trance and he was hungry and God laid out a picnic for him and he said, eat, right? And it led to this idea of breaking down the walls of hostility. I see here, though, I am convinced when I read this that this idea of breaking down the walls of hostility was something that had been pressed upon Peter before. It was in his peripheral. It was there. Because think about it. Think about it. Isn't that how Jesus operated? Peter was with Jesus when Jesus went to Samaria, when Jesus met the woman at the well. He was there. He witnessed what happened when the woman heard and acknowledged Jesus was the Messiah, gave her testimony, brought the townspeople over. He was there, and the book of John tells us that many of the Samaritans from that town believed because of that woman's testimony. Peter was there when Jesus encountered the centurion, when the faith amazed him, the faith of this man amazed him, and he heard the words himself. He heard the words, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. These things were on Peter's peripheral. They were there. And we must acknowledge that Cornelius from two weeks ago was the essence of Peter's enemy. Cornelius was a Roman centurion. Back in those days, the Roman army was oppressing Jewish people. So Cornelius was his oppressor. Peter had issues with Cornelius. He had real issues. So for Peter to trust the spirit, go to this man's house and witness to him is very powerful. It shows a lot of humility, a lot of faith in the spirit leading him. So we're going to read from chapter 10, from 34 to 43, real quick for a refresher. 34, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message of God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth and with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who are under the power of the devil because God was with him. I feel like Peter, he's ramping himself up to witness to these men, right? We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and called Caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And as he's speaking these words, the Holy Spirit spirit just interrupts. It cuts Peter off. The Holy Spirit falls on these unclean men and Peter watches as they worship and speak in tongues. And his response is so profound. He says, how could I stand in the way of their being baptized in water? And then he baptizes his enemy. 
This response was brewing in Peter. It was on his peripheral. It was there. It was on his radar. So we're going to see today that the general role of the visions in the book of Acts is to clarify God's redemptive plan with regard to specific places and people. And today for us, we're going to look at the revelation of Peter within the text and what it means for us today, what revelation does for us as people today, as followers of God. Because what we see here is that revelation is God inviting Peter into better partnership with him for the kingdom. So that means revelation for us today means that God is further inviting us into partnership with him for the kingdom. That the purpose of revelation is to take all the things that we might take in, all the things that we just might absorb on our day-to-day, the things that we put on our peripheral, and to bring them clarity, to bring them into light. That's what we're doing. Think about this. Peter has this trance, this trance-like dream. He has to have it three times. God lays out a picnic tells Peter, you're hungry, please eat. Peter says, God, no, it's unclean. And God says, no, it's clean. And then God says, Peter, here's food, please eat. And Peter says, no, 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 it's unclean. He, they do this three times. Finally, I mean, God must have been like, it's clean, you know, like it's clean, eat. But he doesn't. He's just like, okay, just answer the door because people are coming and you need to talk to them, right? That's what Peter does. And we see that the process of getting on the same page with God is actually pretty confusing and difficult. It's pretty hard to take everything that's out here and just bring them here and understand them. You know, it's difficult, but God doesn't give up on us. God does not give up on you. Last week, Pastor Megan came and she delivered a very important word. Something that she had talked about during her, her workshop and at the beginning of her message was about the Imago Dei, the image of God. She said that the Imago Dei has been attacked and that abuse seeks to distort it in its victims. That really stuck with me. That really resonated with me. And I want to have a real community moment here. Because when I heard those words, the first thing I thought of was, wow, how has the image of God been distorted in my mother when she was in her abuse? And then I thought of those words made me think, man, how has the image of God been distorted in me, in my abuse? And I really felt the Holy Spirit leading me, and I had to think, How has the image of God been distorted by me? How have I been complicit in that? We pollute the image of God with shame. And we let that proliferate under the guise of cultural norms. We let them fall aside to our peripheral. We say, no, that's normal. I know people that go through that all the time. This is what happens. That's what God is addressing here with Peter. In my history, it doesn't include extreme violence, but I, I have been complicit in the objectification of a woman, of women. I am complicit. And if you are telling me that to objectify a woman is not an assault on the image of God in her, then you need to rethink that statement. 
you need to rethink that statement. The image of God is precious. It is so precious. That is why I'm here. I need to repent of that. It is precious. And we need to uphold it as precious. I'm really proud to say that this month, um, it is Women's History Month, right? So the arts ministry and the women's ministry, we've partnered together. And in the coming weeks, some artists are going to come up. They're going to share some poetry. We're going to see a dramatic enactment. I believe uh, our leadership team member, Lisa, is going to come up, and she's going to share something with the congregation. So we have things to look forward to. Um, There's also a women's luncheon today, right after service in the media center. Highly encourage you to go to that. Our very own Angela Robinson is going to share a word from her own heart there. So we have, a lot, we have a lot going on today for you as well. But right now, I'd really like it if we could just pray together. Can we do that? Let's bow our heads. And as we pray... This is one of my favorite prayers. It's called an examine. The examine is an Ignatius, Ignatian prayer. But what I'd like you to do is approach the throne. Just approach the throne of God. Approach your father right now and ask him, Father, how is it that you see me? And then don't pray anything beyond that. Just listen. Listen to what your God is telling you. Listen. Father, how is it that you see me? Father, it is no doubt, there is no doubt that you were so excited when you created man and woman in your image. When you breathed upon our skin, when you touched our bones, Lord, there's no doubt that you delighted We thank you, God, for who you are and how you love your people so intimately, how you are with each and every single person here, no matter how faithful or unfaithful they think they are. God, you are here. So, Father, would you bless this time that we have together as we listen to your word. Let it be your word, only your word, and let what is done here, what is said here, what is heard here, what is sung here, be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we're gonna go back to looking at the book of Acts. We're going to chapter 11. So if you read both chapter 10 and 11, this story is gonna be very familiar. Verse one. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story 
I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it, and I saw four-footed animals of earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in the house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they had heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Right from the get-go, Peter is met with opposition, right? These circumcised believers, these are the Jewish people that committed themselves to following Jesus, right? And they are not happy hearing that these uncircumcised people, these Gentiles, these non-Jews were able to now follow Jesus as well. They were not supposed to be part of the club, right? This club was closed, Right? You had to follow the cultural principles of the Jewish faith in order to be able to follow Jesus. It was like initiation. Right? They did not like the fact that Peter was just going off and you know, baptizing people in water. So Peter is pretty much standing before a council of believers, and now he has to recount this whole story again. Right? He's like, oh, I had this dream, and then I met these people, and I went to this house, and I saw the Holy Spirit do all these things. And what we see here is that, one, if something is repeated to this length in the Bible, it's probably pretty important, right? Repetition is a highlight of importance. We can definitely take that from this. Repetition here is very important. What is being taught here is extremely important. But what we do need to note is new information. There is new information here. We see in verse 11. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. Six brothers, these six people. What Peter is doing right now, he's building a case. He's saying, this, these six guys, they went with me. They were there. They saw what I saw. Ask them. He's building his, they will testify to what I am testifying to you right now. In chapter 10, these men were probably the men that were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Right, we get Pentecost vibes here. They're, they see the Holy Spirit fall and they're like, what is going on? Are they drunk? Right? There's some shock there. There's some resistance there. Right? They, they see this happening, but they're, they're not really sure what to make of it. Right? And that's why it makes sense that Peter is receiving this opposition. There is a resistance to what is happening. 
But the second is more critical. It's that Peter adds a line into what Cornelius says. We're looking at verse 14. Right? Cornelius says, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. But he does not say, he will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. He does not say this. And Peter's not quite lying here because what Peter is saying is what actually happened. Like, his household was saved. It happened. So he's not actually lying here, but he's adding that in. And what we see here in this edition is that there is a sign of change in Peter's understanding of God's mission. Peter's understanding of God's mission is changing. And that's the first point we have today. We see that God's revelation, it destroys ignorance. God's revelation destroys ignorance. He is declaring salvation in the house of these unclean people. He's declaring it through this statement. They have been saved. This household is saved. God has deemed it so. It is a very bold declaration. These are the things that Peter has, has been um, awakened to. The things that were on his peripheral, this dream, this experience has shattered them and brought them to life. You know, like many of the parents uh, in this room, or of your parents, I must say, uh, my parents were immigrants, right? They've been in the States for over 40 years. It's a long time. And I got to say, you know, like, they had a very, they had a harsh immigrant experience like many people did. Um, my father owned uh, liquor stores and fish markets all, like in Brighton Beach, Washington Heights, uh, Astoria in the, in the late 70s and the 80s. So black and brown people and him, they, they did not, he did not have good experience with them. You know, he was robbed a lot. Um, he was shot at. And so when I was growing up, his teaching to me was, you must be careful of black and brown people. Look what happened to me. That was his teaching. His teaching was that these people, they, they cause us pain. They cause us harm. That's what he continued to teach me. And you know, I, I may have been a very different person, but I really do believe that God's revelation came to me through my neighbor when I was still in elementary school. His name was Bruce Harper. He was a former Jets running back. And this man... I had a pretty cold childhood. This man was the warmest thing I can remember. I remember when I would just walk on over because that's what I did. I felt safe to walk on over. And he'd, be, he'd see me, he'd be like, Doug, and I'd be like, Mr. Bruce. And he'd look at me, he'd go, right? And he'd give me a bow, and then I'd look at him and I'd bow back, right? It was really funny, but, you know, and he'd give me this hug when I didn't really get hugs, right? He would give me this hug and he'd be like, Doug, it's so good to see you today. Do you want to play with my daughter? Do you want to play with Caitlin? And I would go inside and I would play and we'd watch like Mother Goose, right? <laughs> She's a little younger than I was, so we would watch Mother Goose. I'd be like, yeah, I'm okay with watching Mother Goose. My experience with Bruce and his family, it challenged what was being taught to me. Amen. It shattered what was being taught to me. 
And I really do believe that God used Bruce to bring me revelation. Hmm. So we need to see. We need to think. We need to really look into ourselves and ask ourselves, what is on my peripheral right now? What are the things that I can keep track of, but I just kind of function with? What are the things that God might be asking me to address, but I'm just too busy to look into them? They don't seem important right now. What are the things that, you know, I should value, I should lift up to him, I should surrender to him, but, you know, don't really feel like it. What are they? Going back to the scene, where Peter is speaking and the Holy Spirit cuts him off, we see verse 43, right? Peter's really in this, he's, zone, he's in the zone. He's really witnessing to these people. And he says, all the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him, Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. He did this in Acts 2 as well, right? This is kind of like his go-to verse, right? His ace, the ace in his sleeve, he whips it out. He's like, yes, all the prophets testify to Christ Jesus, all the prophets, but everyone in this verse here, that word everyone only meant Jews. It was everyone, but it wasn't everyone. And look what happens when the spirit interrupts. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. The Holy Spirit just falls. He says this verse, the Holy Spirit just falls. It's kind of like, I got this now, right? And you bet Peter's understanding of that verse, of that scripture, of that word everyone, was changed forever. Amen. You bet that word was changed forever. And that's, we have our second point here, that it's that God's revelation will change the way we read scripture. Because everyone was not supposed to mean everyone. Everyone was not supposed to mean everyone. Prophets were not supposed to be concerned with people outside of the Jewish faith. They were outside the scope of salvation. They were not chosen. God uses this moment to transform the way Peter understands Scripture. And Cornelius, yes. Cornelius is a very pious man. He has good reputation, so much so that it's noted that God took notice of his reputation. But his reputation and his goodness are not what save him. What saves Cornelius and his household and what Peter witnesses here in this household is that Cornelius is a responder to the word of God. He is capable of responding to the word of God. Now you have to think about this, what's happening here, right? Peter, he's, he's seen the Samaritan woman, he's seen the Samaritan village and what happened there. Peter's witnessed this centurion that Jesus had an encounter with and now Peter sees the centurion praising the Lord, speaking in tongues right before him. You bet that all the things that were here, are, they're now here. And he sees them. He sees them. I mean, I guess sometimes you just need to learn a lesson for yourself, right? no matter how much someone tells you. Yes. And yes, you absolutely need to be reading the word of God. 
That's true. We are a spiritual community. We are a spiritual community. So if, you know, you don't know what step one is, is picking up your Bible is a pretty good step, right? <laughs> pretty good step. If you're not doing that, then maybe you should do it. But reading the Bible must be done in conjunction with prayer. You must do it at the same time. If I could build a picture for you, if your faith is like a car, right? Your Bible is your map or your GPS. Prayer is the gas pedal, right? You will be lost without your map. Sometimes I'm lost with a map, right? Good, thank you. But you can bet you're not going to go anywhere unless you hit the gas. Reading the word and praying must be done in conjunction together. Your time in prayer is an intentional invitation. You are inviting the spirit to come to to work in your life, to bring revelation. And that's our third point we have here. God's revelation, it starts with the spirit's work in people. God's revelation starts with the Spirit's work in people. And something that I'd like to add here is after the Spirit's work is done, revelation invites the community. It's not like a silo type thing. Revelation will invite the community to be involved. The faith and the obedience of the Gentile men that go to fetch Peter, we cannot downplay that. We cannot undermine the faith and the obedience. It took these men to go. And to to bring this man, this man Peter, to this house. And yes, the faith and the obedience of the apostle Peter to listen to these unclean men and follow them into this house, yes, we cannot downplay that either. But it's these men, these unclean men, I should say unclean men, who are the bringers of the word of God to Peter. They are God's messengers to Peter. That's who God uses Never discount who can bring God's word to you. Never. Never discount who can bring God's word to you. I don't care if they're too young, too old, not mature enough. Right? Something I hear is they're not on my level. Right? Not on my level. I'm level 55. You're like level 12, you know? Never discount who can bring God's word to you. And then Peter goes further in the verses. This is verse 16. And then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, Even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Here we see our last point. It's that God's revelation requires a response. God's revelation requires a response. The end of Peter's account in verse 17 is phrased as a challenge. If God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Who are you to think that you can stand in God's way? Very clever. And it's a huge paradigm shift for the church. Huge paradigm shift. They have totally changed directions. They realize now that this word, this salvation is for all people. 
And a sub-point here, if I could add that, is that revelation doesn't require you to get it perfectly right away. We're going to see when Peter goes to Antioch, he gets confronted by the Apostle Paul because he's kind of being hypocritical. He's shying away from the non-Jewish believers. He, he doesn't really want to do with it. So Paul confronts him and calls him out on that. Revelation requires a response. You do not receive God's revelation and you say, thank you. That's not how this works. Revelation requires a response. And that's why you see our church, we try to take up these movements because we believe that is God's revelation. We believe that God's revelation is that we need to advocate and fight for racial reconciliation in our world. We believe that God's revelation is that we need to stand up and fight for the abused in our church, for these victims, and make this church a safe place. We need to respond in that way. Revelation requires a response. You know, like, I I came to this church almost nine years ago, right? And I was a mess. I mean, I'm still a mess, but I, I was a mess, right? I was a mess. I hope that you can agree. I hope you're not laughing at me. I hope you can agree. But I was a mess. And, you know, to be honest, I walked through those doors, and I didn't really like who I was. I didn't. I, I, I didn't like who I was. I put my identity um, in a lot of things that were outside of what I should have. Like, they were in my job. They were in the apartment I lived in. They were in just my image that other people perceived me as. You know, I was like, you know, I'm, like, young. I'm working in Manhattan. I live, you know, in Edgewater or West New York. And, like, I feel pretty good about myself. And, like, I would use that to bolster myself, right? But I, I, was, I was on all these, like, shaky foundations, and I did not like who I was. And I came to this church not really expecting much. But week after week, this man was on this stage and he would bare his soul to the congregation. Week after week. Stories of mistakes, regrets, shame, pain, sin. And you ask Pastor Peter, I, I know all his stories. I got them all here. You know, when we do sermon, I know all his stories, Right? And, you know, like, I I would listen and listen, and God was doing something in me until one week, you know, his revelation came through Peter. And he's not here this week, so I can say this. It was nothing profound, you know? (laughs) It wasn't, like, this crazy one-liner he, like, threw out there and, like, smacked me in the face. I was like, dear Lord, I see you now, you know? It was nothing like that. It was... Peter's posture. It was the consistency of his posture up on stage. And this was God's revelation to me through Peter. Doug, you must grieve the things of your life. You must Grieve the things that you've been through. These things were on my peripheral. But my culture, our culture, tells us that you don't really take time to sit down and cry about stuff. You carry on. You carry on. You carry on. And we walk around with all this baggage. 
you must grieve. And Peter gave me permission to do it. It was so important for me that when I did, when I began this process of grieving in a reality where my father refused to tell me he was proud of me because I didn't earn it yet, I heard God's voice and God told me, your heavenly father is proud of you. I'm so proud of you. And you bet that false foundations were crumbling. Amen. You bet that false foundations were crumbling and that my identity as a son of God was being restored in that. Let's pray together. And right now, I don't know if this will help you, but this helps me. just wanted you to take a moment, take a deep breath and let it out. Go to the Father. And if you would be brave today, if you could ask him, Father, what are the things in my life that I do not see right now that I need to grieve? What do I need to lay before you, Lord? What are you calling me to surrender? Father, I dare not say I know all the pain and the stories in this room. But God, you know them. You know them, God. You know the broken dreams in this room. The disappointment in this room. The frustration. The bitterness. sadness, the loneliness, God. You know them. You know all the things in this room that aim to attack, to assault, to twist the image of God in your people. 
Father, would you come in your glory, Lord, and restore your people. Restore the image in them. For those who believe that they've lost innocence and are no longer pure, would you remind them that they are as pure as Jesus? For those who feel as though all they are is unfaithful, would you tell them that they've been given a crown of righteousness, just like your son Jesus? For those who feel ashamed because of what was done to them or what they may have done to others, Lord, we know that you go to them, you hold them, and you tell them, I am not ashamed of you. You are my delight. You are my creation. I could never be ashamed of you. My love for you is the same as it was yesterday, today, and tomorrow. For all those in this room with a bent will, who when they approach the throne, they can only see your feet because their head hangs low in shame, would you tell them, would you help them straighten their back to see your face, God? Jesus. We need you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your revelation, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have your communication card, just flip it over. There's some next steps there. Uh, the first is that I am committing my life to Jesus for the first time. This is... Really good news for us. We were really excited for you. We're celebrating with you so much so that we would encourage you to go right outside those double doors to a table called the next table. There's someone there waiting for you to pray with you, to answer your questions, walk with you in anything you might have. Definitely check that out. The second is I will invite someone in my life to speak truth and love to me as a step forward to receiving God's revelation for my life. Invite your community in. Invite them to help you partner with God in this. The third is that I will set aside real time to read the word and pray on what God might be speaking to me. As I said before, we are a community of faith. I really hope that we can journey along this together. One step uh, that I would like to mention that's not in your communication card is I would like for you to be intentional about grieving with someone. It doesn't have to be this week. Maybe you need some time to prepare that, but definitely commit to grieving with someone. Having someone listen to you. They don't have to say anything, just to hear you. And the last is that I will read Acts 11, 19 to 29, and pray on it in preparation for God's word next Sunday. We want to be prepared for God's word 